managing editor and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 10 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, He's back. I haven't seen him in quite some time. We're about to angle this off. There we go. Man, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since I've been here, man. It's been a little bit. Deontay Duna Hagler is here with us for this Wednesday night episode. We got a full schedule. I feel like last, well, last episode was Sunday. And if I recall correctly, all these days are running together for me, especially with these overnight shifts. But, um... I'm pretty sure that I did Sunday show by myself, and I think I got out of here 30 minutes early, essentially. And that that kind of happens when you're, when you're doing a show by yourself and you don't necessarily have anybody to banter with. But it was pretty weird knowing that I left without doing my dad's tipping. So my dad got two tip-ins today. We're about to get right into one, actually, because we're probably going to argue right off the bat. My mom's tip in today is success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you do, you'll be successful. I'll read that one more time. Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you do, you'll be successful. So that's my mom's tip in from today. That I, You just said it yourself, facts. Uh, I think it's pretty. It's pr- it's just proof that yeah, self-explanatory. I, I think <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, it's, can't look at it any other way. It's either you love what you do, because when you love what you do, you become good at it. You want to be the best at it when you love it. You get used to it. You get engulfed in it. You get you you fully encompass yourself in in it and everything around. It and or involving it. Uh, going to my dad's first tip in because he does have two of them today. His first tip in is on something that happened this Saturday in college football. This past Saturday, I should say, in college football. And we're going to see how we feel about it because scoring late at the end of a football game, there are too many scenarios. Or his tip in is about scoring late at the end of a football game. There are too many scenarios that can end a football game with a score. Sometimes it's a lead changing game decider. Sometimes it's just trying to save face at the end of a Thin of a butt whooping. Sometimes <laughs> it's to put the game out of reach. But when the score is just pouring it on and making a danger or making a dangerous scenario for players, fans, and coaches. Case in point, Saturday's Oklahoma and Baylor game. <laughs> if you watch this game, you know where we're going. Oh, so with the already with the game already in hand. Up 24 to 14. Baylor head coach Dave Aranda caught a timeout with three seconds left. Keep in mind, the fans had already stormed the field. So we're going to get to that. But he caught a timeout. Now, the decision can be viewed in lots of ways. Now, if Oklahoma's head coach Lincoln Riley did take exception to it, I'm sorry. I'm Oh, okay. A lot of ways. That was the typo. I thought he said if. So now that, now that decision can be viewed a lot of ways. Now, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln, Lincoln Riley did take exception to it. 
But he said that he understands why Aranda did it. Now, being up 10 points with three seconds left, normally you were, it would be running the score up. To, or, wait, I don't know why this is reading this way, Dad. Maybe we – well, it doesn't matter. It's from last week, so he's probably looking at me like you should have read it last week. <laughs> but now being up by 10 with three seconds with three seconds left would normally be running the score up and set you up some, for some revenge the next time you see that team. Aranda's reasoning is valid this time around. In college football, point differential between teams is the third tiebreaker by league rules. So by adding those points, he helps his teams in the case of a tie near the end of the regular season. Now, with that said, Aranda's reasoning is solid, but my point is that this decision came at the same time that fans were thinking that the game was over and poured onto the field, which is the point we were going back to. After a long delay and the PA announcer imploring fans to leave the field, Bears' Isaiah Hankins added, 32, added a 32-yard field goal as time expired. The thing that I don't agree with is the safety issue. Fans, players, and coaches were all at risk of being injured. Aranda knew it was 30 seconds left when he was going to go for three. At that point, that wouldn't have been a problem. But because the, oh, That wouldn't have been a problem because no one had rushed the field. I think the call was just bad timing on Aranda's part. Now, do you want to start it? I actually see where your dad is coming from, and I'm going to agree with him. Um, 30 seconds within, like, towards the end. First of all, you know what you're going to do when you have the ball and you're killing the clock. That's automatically. So, as a coach, you already know what your game plan is. Now, here's the thing. If you're waiting for the game to be almost over with, in this example, three seconds left to kick a field goal, you're out of line. Why? Because it's already too late. It's not that it's already too First of all, it, sorry. Well, well, Things I mean, happen. I mean, think about it like this, man. All games, unless they're like close games, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's like an Alabama and Auburn and, you know, dude takes a kick return back or a field goal return back. All right. You know, that – yeah, my, my, yeah, he, he gave some different scenarios, which you I thought were I mean? interesting. With the exception. Now, this scenario here, in this case, the game's already over. You already won. What That's not you, the point. <laughs> what do you need to kick the field goal for? Like, I get it. It's extra points. It puts you back. It it helps you win that that conference. But So if you get it, you get it. There's no point in calling that timeout, though. So that's where a lot of people are going, are, are, I guess, upset with the timeout. Here's the issue, though, for me, just for me, because I understand the field goal. I understand the timeout. And this is where I'm probably going to frustrate a lot of people. I understand why you let time tick down. If you kick that field goal <laughs> at 30 seconds, you have to kick the ball back to the other team. You're, you're risking your player more injury for a player for your players. It's a higher risk of injury for your players. By definition, a kickoff is the most dangerous play in in football, which is why they move the ball to the thirty five, which is why you got so many touchbacks now. But even if they don't run the ball out, you just said it. They got twenty seven seconds essentially to try to figure something out. Those are two or three plays that I do not have to send my defense out for. It's not my fault that you guys let them storm the field before I was done. I'm not done. 
I'm mad at everybody else aside from from uh, Aranda. Why am I upset at him? I'm not upset at him either. But in my in my honest opinion, it's already like you you. It doesn't. To be honest, kicking the ball to the to the other team with like tw- plus twenty seven seconds left, they're not gonna nail it. They're, they're not winning. But they're not gonna go. They're not gonna go and pass the ball because you gotta think about it. they're on the. They're thinking the same thing that the other team is thinking. I don't want my players to get hurt. Yeah, but the defense is not. You would assume up thirteen. Now, if you're blitzing up thirteen, what the hell are you doing? It's twenty seconds left. Now, if you're in the zone, which the defense is going to be in, you're just not going to give up. A, you're not going to give up a touchdown. It's going to be a cover four drop. That's all you're going to do. As soon as you hike the boy, everybody's backing up. So. It's going to be a situation where you're going to let them get 15, 20 yards. They're not going to score. I don't even see that happening. Watch I your see, computer. I see um, – I don't even see that happen. What I see is them running the ball, honestly. Just run the ball and just let the time take down because there's no point of trying to – you're not going to win the game. I hate to seconds. say it. You're putting – I think the safer play is to pass the ball. Because if you pass the ball and let and ex, you just said it, if it's a cover four, you have to find a hole in the defense. So if you find a hole in the zone, and let's say you run a ten and in a stick. Okay. So if you if you run a ten and in, and I don't know why for some reason I'm thinking about Minnesota, so I don't want to use the Vikings as a reference, but I won't. So I so I won't rather. <laughs> but I want to use Justin Jefferson as a point of reference. But essentially, let's say that, you, that the quarterback finds the uh, the hole in the zone. Completes the pass, you have three or four people behind you in terms of defenders. Is Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, any other wide receiver, granted we're talking about college, any other wide receiver going to try to make a play typically in that case? No, I'm going to get down. We're going to rush the offense down here depending on if we have any timeouts. And we're going to try to do this a couple more times until we have no more time left. Now, if you run the football and your running back fumbles the ball – or your office alignment gets his ankle rolled up. And then you, but then you can say the same thing about a receiver. I, I get your point that about the true. receivers. Like, they can get down. But then also, they got to go – they got to get the first down in order for the clock to stop in college. Very true. So, it's kind of like mm, – I mean, they could do that. I just don't see them – I. I I get it. You want those points. You wish no, you like you didn't want them to rush the field because you wasn't done yet. But I think as the opposing team, it's like, come on, man, bro. Okay, so here's the here's the issue, and I and I know everybody keeps kind of mentioning the the pouring of of fans onto the field. That is not a Baylor head coach call. Absolutely not. So I don't understand why we're mad at him for doing it. It's my job to coach this football game. I'm letting this tick down to three seconds left so I can send out my field goal unit, we can kick a field goal, and we can go home happy. You let the fans onto the field early. Now, we've seen it happen before. Absolutely. We almost seen it happen when Ray Allen hit the infamous shot in Miami. We saw it then. The yellow tape, or excuse me, yeah, the yellow ropes were out. Fans were pushing against the yellow ropes. Chris Bosh got that rebound. Fans were essentially almost allowed to walk across that road until Ray hit the shot. And then everybody kind of looked around like, well, I, oh, well. All right. 
Now what happens? So we've seen situations where it's happened before. Let's be honest, and I, and I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> I think Boston College may have one, if I recall correctly, where the entire band was on the field. And during the last play, they ended up scoring. That's actually a game that, that, that was, that's within reach. So I think what we've seen before is we've seen these situations where, of course, if a, a, a ranked team is going down and let's say they went down to Kansas football, sorry, guys, and everybody's going to storm the field. We've seen them storm the field with six, five, four. We've seen it happen. We've seen coaches take off headsets, start walking to the middle of the field. That's not what we saw this time around. See, and that's just and that's just the thing. I think now it's more so like a it's more so like a league thing. It's like um, when you start to see that time go down, you know, like like you was just counting down, you know, and the coaches is already taking headsets off, players is already cheering. Let's go shake hands, and then the fourth, the rest of the fourth quarter runs out. Yep, and that's probably the mindset around the league right now. And that's probably what just happened, you know. But, again, like you said, it's not his fault that the friends were able to rush the field early. Now, the only thing that I have a problem with is it's not such a big deal, man. It's only a field goal. When you're losing, already up when you're losing and you add another three to that, it's like, fam. <laughs> if I'm looking Riley, I get it. But it's one of those things to where – and me and my brother got into an argument about this a long time ago. And – He's always been like a football guy, and I've always been a basketball guy, and and we ended up having like a, <laughs> like a random just sibling argument growing yeah, up. Yeah, those two. And those I told him, always. and like he he said something because I didn't really have like much against football until he started to talk some of the times, and I was like, eh, here you go. Now his thing was basketball players always looking for fouls. Like you guys are soft, you guys are whatever, whatever, whatever. And I literally said, like, I'm pretty sure every offensive football player cheats. And my brother was like, what are you talking about? I said, I hate when somebody gets tackled and a running back literally rolls the ball forward three or four yards. <laughs> Fan, we're looking at you late. Don't worry about it. The referee just kindly picks it up. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm, yeah Right where your foot is. Yeah, I'm going to put that right there. And we got into that, that, that idiotic argument behind – the things that irk us about the other sport. Now, my entire point behind saying that was that I don't have an entire point. But, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, man. Let's, nah, that's just funny because it's what? both things can be true. <laughs> no, both of them were true. Both were absolutely true. But, it, like I said before, football is, is one of those sports to where, I mean, like I said before, I just mentioned – the two, what was that, 2014? No, 2015. 2015, I believe. Um, well, I should be wrong. I have to start, literally to make oh. sure I get the the, two, the the NBA finals correct in the 2000s, I have to start kind of from like 2000, and, like, or 2000, actually 2000 flat, and go up to make sure I get every single one. Because I know the Lakers won in 2010, Dallas won in 2011, and this so is where I started. And that was OKC. That was Brown and OKC. The Ray Allen one was 2014. Uh, 2014. 2015. See? Something's not right. 2015 was Golden State's first title. Because 2012. 
Kawhi has it. See, it doesn't matter. You got to look it up. This is what happens when we don't have Salim, guys. Um, right instantly. And he's from Miami. He, or and he's from Florida. He 100% would have known that right away. Um, speaking of that, uh, maybe I, maybe this is why I said that, because I wanted to jump straight into basketball. We're going to talk UNLV. We're going to talk a lot of UNLV this first hour. Um, we'll see if it bleeds into the second hour, but we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. We're going to start with the women's team. The Lady Rebels, off to their best start since 2017-18, played a road game today at Northern Arizona. They played at the Lumberjacks. We were both wrong. 20, what, 2014, 13? 13. It, it was the year that they won it. Which is why I was like, it was the year that they won it, like, so it couldn't have been 2014. That's why when I said 2015, I said it was Golden State's first title. How I remember is 11, Dallas. And then Brown won his two. And then two. Brown won his two back-to-back. And then Kawhi got his MVP. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Golden State's run started. Yep. Golden State well, Golden State and Cleveland's run. Because Golden State and Cleveland went one-and-one okay, one okay, back-to-back. Yeah. So it was like Golden State won, what, two? One. One and oh, then yeah. 2016, okay. Cleveland won theirs. Then they then Golden State won then two. Cavs, then Golden State two, and then Toronto. Toronto. Yep. And, and now Milwaukee. we're here. And then the Lakers and then Milwaukee. You counted Lakers. your own Lakers out. <laughs> hey man. Oh, you're not even a Laker fan. You're a Bron fan. Bron anyway, fan, we're gonna man. keep moving on then. But the, the reason why I thought this was interesting in terms of this Northern Arizona game, and I already said their names. Do you know what their name is? The team name, the Northern Arizona what? The um, NAU what? I'm having a fun time with this. Hold on, I I you I do not like know this. I know this. You don't. A U from it's Northern Arizona, right? Yeah, right there on the screen. All right, oh. that one right there. I want I want to guess this, but I don't want. I just guess said this. it. What? No, oh, it no, doesn't I matter now. <laughs> I'm not saying it right now. You got to figure it out. Ah, uh, you conf- you confuse me. I'm not saying it until you say it, or until you guess it. You want to eat? I shouldn't say easier one, but you want a different one. Yeah, I need a different one. Uh, I can't. They're the lumberjacks. I don't know why. I, I don't know why that's so funny to me. That's Nebraska. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have corn husk in Arizona? Um, I don't know. Wait, where am I at? What was I? What was I even about to talk about right Lady now? Lady Rebels. Uh, wait, before that. Oh, I said I was gonna give you a different one. Gardner Webb. What are they? It's two words. All right, you got me on that one. What if I told you they were the running? Give me the second one. Rebels? No. no. <laughs> there is another running Rebels, and we know that that's Ole Miss. Um, Who is it? They're the running what? It's an animal, obviously. Uh, what animal runs? There's a... Panthers, Jags, the Running Panthers. No, Panthers. No, hey, that would that would be interesting. That'd probably be a better name than what they have. Gardner Webb. They are the Running Bulldogs. I told Salim, I believe a week and a half ago, and Salim said, "Have you ever seen a bulldog? They don't run." I, I was just gonna say that. As a matter of fact, my, why do I do a show? My middle guys? school alma mater is a bulldog. Is it a running bulldog? No. You guys didn't no, know running. No. We no did running. no running. He did a lot of sitting. <laughs> His whole <laughs> lot of sitting as a mascot. All right, so let's get back to the Lumberjacks. The, the Lumberjacks, the interesting part about this in all seriousness, Northern Arizona beat Lindy LaRock and her Lady Rebels last year in the team season opener. And 
the, it obviously any loss on 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 a season opener night is a damper. It 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 it, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. This time around, UNLV. I said they were off to their best start since 2017-2018. They were headed towards a 3-0 start. Excuse me. I said they were already 3-0. They were headed towards a 3-0 start, and it was stopped again this time around. Uh, or I should say they were stopped again by the Lumberjacks. This time around, the score was 84-62. to It was a blowout from the jump. The Lady Rebels never led in the contest. I'll get to the specifics right now as I look at my notes. More important than that, do you think they have the blueprint to beat UNLV? I mean, because even, I want to say even the time with when Kathy Olivier was on, was coaching, they lost to the Lumberjacks as well. I'll be honest, when you look at the, when you look at Northern Arizona and the way that they play defense, they they even hopped into a two three zone multiple times a night, and I, I think the interesting part was when you said blueprint. My initial instinct started to say no because of how often they see each other, which I would say, which would be how rare and in in all actuality. This is why I'm gonna say yeah with you because it's not about and you just said it. The blueprint isn't about the team per se; it's about the method in which they use to beat UNLV. And once I get to these points, you're you're going to probably agree with me, uh, especially considering some of the things that you said about Desiree Young last year. It's defense. So when you're playing a 2-3 zone and you're not allowing any paint points while dominating in the paint on the other end, uh, you're forcing the team to show you that they can break your zone by shooting the three. And UNLV – in terms of tonight, you take 23, 23 three-pointers, you only make five, you're probably not going to win very many ball games. You're not going to win any ball games. I guess it depends on how bad the other team shoots. Okay. So, what? I said okay. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean <laughs> UNLV, we saw that against Gardner-Webb, uh, the men's team at least. We'll get to them in a second. So, this is why I say more important than that because it just it may be just a single loss on a record. But as I said before, they missed the 3-0 start for their first time since 2017-18. Now, of course, that was under Kathy Olivier as well. Now, Got it. this is the part where it's, it's the storyline of this game. <clears throat> Excuse me. The UNLV Lady Rebels went 9-0 on the road last year. Started this season 1-0 with the win over Oral Roberts. This loss brought an end to a 10-game road winning streak for the Lady Rebels that expanded over the last two seasons. That has expanded, rather, over the last two seasons. Which is very good. Although, you know, some people don't think like, oh, well, that was last season. This is a new season. So it's just not over. Anytime you have a zero in the loss column of anything, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And to those people who said that, Regardless of what else, I mean, obviously, if you didn't go zero and nine at home, if you went zero and nine at home, maybe you should curve your enthusiasm a little bit. But if you didn't, never mind. Got some work to do. Well, yeah. If you, well, if you didn't, it, you have something to build on. More so, do you have some work to do? If you now, if you didn't win any games at home, you have some work to do. And <laughs> I'm really gonna try to remember this point. 
Uh, I think I said it on Sunday, but I'm going to try to remember the point again. We shall see. But bad first quarter for this Lady Rebel team, and it eventually turned into uh, an avalanche, and, and it, it kind of just spiraled from there. But the defense got to the team right away because the team was already down early. The team took nearly four minutes to score their first bucket of the game. They were down 8 nothing by that point. They even had a shot clock violation early in the game, down four to nothing. And it kind of showed where this team was today. And just the mind state. And I I, I don't know what I'm gonna point to, whether I would point to to travel, whether I would point to I guess experience. I haven't done the most research in terms of Northern Arizona in terms of their uh their team camaraderie, their average age, things of that nature. But this UNLV team has obviously been put together with some newcomers. So A lot of newcomers. A lot. So it allows for leeway, I would say. And you never want to obviously downplay a loss by 20-plus points, which is what they suffered tonight. But more than that, Desiree, uh, Desiree Young had two fouls in the first quarter. One of her fouls was actually a charge. It was the second charge uh, call of the first quarter. Just, again, giving you an indication of, of what this team looked like tonight. Uh, slow to get to their spots. I don't really know what what other word really comes to mind aside from slow to get to their spots. It, it continued the rest of the game. The leads continued to grow. The lead briefly was cut to two points, mainly on the back of Neka Obiazer. UNLV newcomer Neka Obiazer scored 10 of her first, or excuse me, scored 10 of her 13 points in the first half, cut the deficit to uh, to as little as two points before long. That would be back up to 13 points by the end of the second quarter, simply because UNLV went scoreless for three minutes and seven seconds. More than that, the team got to the free throw line, was able to make one free throw, but still went without a field goal for the last five minutes and 58 seconds. So essentially the last six minutes of the first half, UNLV went without a field goal. Mm. It's, it's like, it's really hard to just sit here and like, say what it is like you initially said before before you're giving out the points you don't know what it is you don't know if it's like confidence if it's just they woke up and just had a bad day you don't know but five six minutes six minutes, six minutes without any points from any from any range of the court if does it matter at all that the other team was in a 2-3 zone. It doesn't matter at all. I, I guess going scoreless for six minutes is... It, yeah. I mean, it still kind of... It still matters because even if they're in that zone, you got to shoot a mid-range. And what that's showing is that the team isn't really... The team doesn't have mid-range shooters. Gotta, you you got to break the zone. You got to get inside of the zone. And the interesting part was, as I said before, it nearly took them four minutes to score to open the game. And... See, then the last six minutes of the first half, and it was took already them, too late to figure it out. 
Now well, down. you speak about too late. It was already 13 points. At halftime, they went into uh, the locker room down 42 to 29. That lead continued to grow in the second half, obviously, depending on the score. Or as you look at the score, 19 is the number I want to talk about because the lead grew to 19 due to another run from Northern Arizona. It was a 9-0 run this time around. The lead would eventually grow to as large as 23 in the third quarter, 28 in the ball game before UNLV would eventually fall by 22 points. So here's my question with this is. No. No. <laughs> you watch a lot of film on a certain team in order to practice for that team's defense. What's the definition of a lot of film? What do I mean? Yes. Because I know most coaches around, like most coaches that I've been around, I've heard a general, a, a, a general number typically. Maybe. I really hope that this thing is continuing to record, guys, but we will obviously continue to let you guys know as it happens. But, anywho. <laughs> <laughs> this thing better be recording. Trust me when I tell say, you. This is... But college players that tell you that they expected for NBA players to be quicker, NBA players to be smarter, NBA players to be all of these different things. Yet you get in front of Russell Westbrook and it's just different. You get in front of LeBron James and it's just different. Hey, man. I'm what? What? It's it's, it's true. It, so it's, it, it is true because it's. And like, I'm not saying it. And I'm not saying that they they ran up against somebody that is just like otherworldly. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, you could plan for it all day long until you see it. Yeah. So you could get there and realize that their length on the perimeter is a lot greater than you expected. You could get there and realize these girls are a lot bigger down low than we expected. We can't score down low. Whatever the case may be, one of the main things that I said was that Desiree Young had two fouls in the first quarter. Foul trouble. Now, NECA ended up being the leading scorer for the team with 13 points, which obviously she played expanded minutes, or, uh, yeah, expanded minutes, considering Desiree Young wasn't in the game due to foul trouble. <sighs> I don't know, man. All I'm going to say is Desiree Young had 10 points. She had those 10 points in 13 minutes. You let me know. Foul trouble, man. I st I still don't. That that defense is pretty much what teams are running against the Lakers, and you see the Lakers are having a very difficult time because they need to shoot it. their way out of it. And are they doing it? No. According to AD, they're not doing a lot of other stuff. But that's that's neither, neither here nor there yeah, at this exactly, present moment. But that's my point being for UNLV, the 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 Lady Rebels. Um, is you have to find that you have to find that that niche in that to pick that zone off because if you don't pick that zone off, man, it will eat your season away. Um, a lot of pick and rolls could be done. Pick rolls mid range. See, but that's what I'm saying too. Every team's rotations are, are different, and and that's what I'm saying. Like Cal, for instance, if that. I recall correctly. Cal, for instance, gave the running Rebels difficulty this season. Obviously, uh, all of their games have come out to the last possession. But 
Cal gave UNLV problems because of their zone. And last season, I'm trying to remember who it was, but TJ Otzelberger made it a point to uh, highlight a team's quickness in rotating. And, again, that's not something that you can prepare for. No, it's you can not. say it all day long and say that, oh, they're fast on whatever the case may be. They're fast on defense. They're, they have fast hands. Chad Johnson has the fastest feet in the, in the NFL. Until you lined up, until you line up across from him and you see him put his feet to work, then you realize that's what they meant. Can't really prepare for this. Now, Touché. we say all of this and very well – UNLV could have woke up and had a bad day, and I, I'm pretty sure that's that's what that that's what that was. Woke up, had a bad day, and feel like and feel like coming in the game being dominant. Well, sluggish. They shouldn't go into very many other games hope with that type of attitude, and I don't expect Linda LaRock to allow her team to uh, kind of carry that mindset mindset and or mind state. Moving forward, but in terms of bouncing back, they need to, obviously, if they didn't wake up for this game, this next one is a little bit earlier, so hopefully we don't have another issue, but this is a home game. It is a 12 p.m. start. Obviously, that is a noon start. That's on Saturday, November 20th. That's a home game against Southern Utah that will take place from the campus of UNLV. I'm excited to just see the response more than anything. The response by the team, as I said before, Lindy LaRock, and I, I I haven't even done this research, and maybe I actually want to – eh, I won't do it at the second. Don't worry about it. But there is a question that I have in my head, and maybe I can get that prepared for the next story if I do indeed do that, unless Matt does it. Uh, speaking about the men's team, we might as well take care of this too. I mentioned that all three of their games so far have come down to the final possession. This one being the latest installment – UNLV won 64-62 over the North Dakota State Bison. I should have quizzed you on what they were. but uh, I would have got that. Uh, yeah, we'll see. The, the Bison uh, nearly looked like they had a, a, a chance to tie the game as the help defender, fifth-year transfer Royce Ham Jr. sort for the game-winning block. I have my notes on this game as well. I'm going to be honest with you. What? I really like his game. That's been a general consensus so far. It's been the and and this is the thing. This is gonna sound really crazy. But we've been around a lot of we've watched a lot of UNLV basketball teams. Their big man, how they perform and everything. It. There's been some exceptions. There's been some, eh, some disappointments too. But this kid can play. Every time I see Royce do anything on defense, rebound the ball, just certain things, I laugh because I say, you can tell he played in the Big 12. I don't know what dominated. more you want me to say than that. Like, nah, that I, I mean, he goes from that a really good conference to uh, to the Mountain West. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm, 
What the? I'm not trying to underlie. You just way, did it. But you didn't have to say too much of anything. You all right? And come you, on. All right. His, so you you drug that one out. His skills are. Come on now. Does his skills show that he's a Mountain West player? Yes, he's doing it in the UNLV jersey. So here, all right. Let's be honest. <laughs> so Royce's stole headlines. In two, at least two of the three games, you could argue all three of the games, considering that he had a game-winning block against Kyle as well. At the end of the day, the difference with Royce is Royce is making his biggest impact on defense and rebounding the ball. So he's making the impact and doing the dirty work for a team that in the past would have moments where you would get in the ISO ball. Whether it was Amari when he was here, whether it was Jordy when he was here, whether it was Jovan Moore when he was here, whether it's Bryce now, and I know I'm leaving that one, whether it's David Jenkins, who, by the way, is at Utah right now. And as we always do when people leave UNLV, we're going to follow what uh, they do after this. And of course, as I say all the time, whenever a person leaves UNLV and I pay attention to the schools that they go to, it says a lot. Now, I do have something else to get to about this game, too, that, that's quite disturbing. I just had to point that out, though. Oh, that's perfectly fine. And, and obviously, we were going to get to that, too. But the team also had one of their stars get into foul trouble right away, and that was Bryce Hamilton. He had two fouls early in the first half. The thing was, I asked Coach Kruger after the game, about these turnovers, and it was so interesting to me because I had to go back and make and count these numbers a good three or four times. Because, and I'm looking at my notes right now, over the, f- yeah, through the first seven minutes, six minutes and 59 seconds to be uh, specific, to be exact, UNLV committed five turnovers in the first six minutes and 59 seconds of the ball game. Five turnovers. UNO, 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 yeah, kind of. <laughs> UNLV proceeded to go to the next 13-01, which would be the remainder of the first half, without a turnover. More importantly than that, UNLV had three turnovers in all of the second half. Let's do some math together as a unit. UNLV commits five fouls essentially in the first seven minutes of the ball game. Over the next 33 minutes, UNLV committed three turnovers. That's good basketball. When I asked Kevin Kruger about this situation, I probably should give you guys the entire two-part question before I just – just run along with it. When the team was committing all of those turnovers to start the game, North Dakota State built the lead as large as six. Coach Kruger has talked about his his team, and he's preached that this team is going to hinge on defense. I asked him what kind of testament is that to his defense, that even in the first seven minutes when essentially your team is turning the ball over every minute, the other team can't go up by more than six points. 
So in, on the back end of that question, I asked him about the remainder of the game, the three turnovers over, over the last 33 combined minutes between these two halves. And he pointed to the team's age. Even though the team isn't even though the team isn't hasn't, I should say, hasn't jailed fully because you have so many moving pieces. We just talked about the newcomers on the Lady Rebels team. Same thing kind of with this running rebel team. You had three players return, you have newcomers the rest of the way. So you're getting a team who we're watching actively learn how to play as a unit. Interestingly enough, when I mentioned that, this is the same head coach and Kevin Kruger who called the timeout against Cal and asked the team what they wanted to do. Asked them what they wanted to do in terms of defending Cal because they were up 355 to 52. With a couple of seconds left, I believe it was 12.7 seconds left specifically. And Kevin Kruger gave the offense or gave the, the team the opportunity to either foul and send Cal to the line shooting two. With, the, as I said, about 12.7 uh, seconds left. Or play the last 12 seconds out. The team answered him, opted to go with playing the regular 12 seconds out. They forced, obviously, a missed three. UNLV goes home a winner. Kevin Kruger said that he was looking for confidence in that moment. That shows a lot. He said he simply was looking for confidence. He said he didn't have an answer. Whatever they answered with, he was going to do. He just wanted them to be confident in their answer. If they were going to foul right or if they were going to let the the uh, Golden Bears get into their offense and then take the foul, he wanted them to understand why they wanted to do that, whether they were playing percentages, whether they were looking at their number, whatever the case may be, he wanted a reason. And then obviously for their answer to be, let's just play it out, that's obviously the, the confidence oozing, citing, we're going to hang our hat on our defense. It's going to go through us. I like that. That shows a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, that shows that you are a player's coach, hmm. which is key, especially nowadays. Um, players love to play for coaches that are about them, you know, because then the players, then they all get on the same page, right? They all go in there for the one goal, and that's obviously to win. Right, be in the best position to win each and every game. But you can't do that without a chemistry between the players and the coach. Hmm. You just can't. You can't do it. Sometimes, you know, you, you may there, there may be you may have that confidence, you know what I'm saying? You may have that that chemistry between the players and the coach for a player's coach and then you guys still lose, but then guess what? The players are all gonna be like, It's on us, coach, let's go get it at the next time. Well, we haven't been able to see how this running Rebel team reacts to a loss because they haven't done it yet. They're 3-0 and so far in the season. This is their best start since the 2017-2018 season when head coach Marvin Menzies was in the building. Shout out. You dig? Oh, man. I got a quick question for you, too, man. Uh, I have an answer. It was very disturbing. Right? I don't have an answer. You do. 
you might. It's about this roster, right? Now, I get it. You have to tell me who's the roster. You know, these men's basketball. Okay. We all know Rondo can play 16 minutes, get eight assists, win a ball game, <laughs> and win a championship. I'm no really point. confused. <laughs> Why you just Watch said this. UNLV roster and brought up Rajon Rondo? You about to see Rajon, rather. Where's it, Rajon? Rajon. Marvin Coleman. Yes. Played 16 minutes. Yes. One point. Yes. Four assists. Yes. What's going on? Um. <clears throat> now I didn't pull the Ben Simmons with the one point thing. <laughs> I didn't think that was fair to him because... First of all, let me ask you this. Does it matter when you're winning? Because I'm waiting for Justin Webster to catch fire from downtown, too, and he hasn't shot the ball well. Does it matter when you're winning? No, because the end result is winning. The end result is the W is what you want. Thank you for answering that, so I guess I'll answer yours now. Because I really didn't want to answer it, but I guess I'll do it now. You you answered it with a with a genuine answer, and I'm like, damn, now I have to do it too. <laughs> um, all right, in all seriousness, I, I think TJ Otzelberger, and I and uh, here we go. There are more ball handlers now. And those <laughs> ironically enough, those three point guard lineups from last season. With Marvin Coleman, Bryce Hamilton, and David Jenkins, you had two scores. You had Bryce Hamilton, and you had David Jenkins. David Jenkins was learning, in the words of T.J. Otzelberger, to be a lead guard. That's not what he's ever really been. He's been off guard. Fast forward to now. You have Michael Nuga. You have Jordan McCabe. You still have Bryce Hamilton. That alone has moved Bryce, or excuse me, has moved Marvin Coleman to the bench. You would expect for him to probably have the six-man role until you realize that Royce Ham and Josh Baker technically are the last two. I should almost say it in the, in the uh, front court, but they're the last two in the starting lineup. Therefore, rangy defender and leaper Donovan Williams is now your sixth man. So now you get Bryce, or why do I keep saying Bryce? Now you get Marvin as one of your guards in your second unit. Probably your lead guard in your second unit, but 90% of the time, I shouldn't say 90, 65, maybe even 70% of the time that he's on the court, he's going to be on the court with another ball handler. And if you look at the way that UNLV's motion offense runs, it's a lot of ball movement now. Like I said before, there was a lot of isolation, whether it's from Amari Hardy, David Jenkins, or Bryce. Now you're getting a little more fluidity. A little bit more. So the way that Marvin Menzies talked a lot about paint touches, Kevin Kruger did the same thing, highlighting his assistant coaches. So, obviously, it it means something for this team. They they use defense to 
climb back. I shouldn't say climb back into the game, but get back into the game because they actually did give up the lead in the second half. The Bison had them down for a brief moment in the second half after tying the game three previous times. But their biggest opponent is next, by the way. And that's where we're actually going to. Oh, I mentioned TJ Osterberger. Let me let me stop there because I already mentioned it before. And if I or if I I wanted to mention it before, and if I haven't, let me do it now. TJ Osterberger left UNLV to go coach at Iowa State, who last year went two and twenty-two as a basketball program. I think I let you guys know when they won their season opener. Therefore, T.J. Osterberger was halfway there. And when I say halfway there, I mean halfway towards already improving the program. Right? That's that's what they that's they told me that's the way it goes. That's winning the season openers improving the program. If they won two games all of last season, I think so. I'm going to go celebrate. (laughs) I don't know. I got to see five. Well, if you do that, you've already doubled last year's season total. So let's talk a little bit about it. And I think I, I, if I did not do it, I wanted to do it before. But they won their second game as well. They beat Oregon State of the Pac-12. I'm here to let you guys know UNLV isn't the only team that's 3-0. T.J. Osselberger has Iowa State off to a 3-0 start. The reason why this is news here, even though T.J. Osselberger is no longer coaching at UNLV, is because already three games into the season, T.J. Osselberger has eclipsed Iowa State's win total from last season. Changing the program around. <laughs> uh, and so the thing is, once you begin next – what's wrong with this microphone? Once you begin next – or once you win your next game, I'll say. And I don't – obviously, I don't want to count them out. But their next game is Sunday against Grambling. All right. <laughs> <laughs> They should win that game. They just beat Alabama State. We could talk about their scheduling if you want to, but all right. That's it. But I, I just, I just loud and clear. I heard that one. So let's just move on. <laughs> C.J. Osselberger is three and zero in Iowa State at Iowa State with a game against Grambling coming up. So meanwhile, Kevin Kruger will be taking his three and zero record. I can't say on the road. Can't say at home. Mutual it's technically feeling. a neutral site. I said mutual. I meant neutral. <laughs> but this is a home game unlike any other. Friday night, and we're going to get into this specifically in a second, but Friday night, my birthday, November 19th, from the T-Mobile Arena, the Roman main event, at 9.30 p.m., UNLV will tip off against the Michigan Wolverines. What am I supposed to say behind that? I- I'll be honest. Did you did you root for Michigan to uh, be undefeated when they came to Vegas? I don't know. I was kind of in the middle. I was kind of in the middle, man. I was because it's it's something you you want that you want that you want to see that true college basketball back that powerhouse back. But they then you're like, they could be a powerhouse with one loss. They could be. And then you're like, yeah, 
I want. I just want to see y'all lose this one game, maybe two. I wanted Michigan to come in to Vegas undefeated because now let me paint the opposite scenario for you. Because it could have happened a couple of different ways, but let me just paint what we're going to see. Michigan could have walked in here undefeated at 4-0, which I believe that's what they were. I could be wrong. Could be 3-0. But they could have came to Vegas undefeated, yet they lose a heartbreaker to Seton Hall by a point. So, Duna, let me ask you a separate question. Yep. Would you rather play an undefeated Michigan Wolverines team? That was ranked fourth. Okay. Barring no changes to the rankings. Or would you rather play a still highly respected, highly ranked Michigan team that is coming off their first loss? Of the season, three games in. My, I'm taking my eyes, and I'm going to go with the undefeated Michigan team. This is the reason why I feel like UNLV is going to get the best version of any Michigan team we're going to see this year. Yeah, they are. And I'll leave it at that. I don't know how this goes because UNLV's defense is interesting to see. This game is actually going to be pretty good from the start. And that's why that, that's we're going to get into saying. specifics because I, I, I'll i get into where I'll be physically on Friday, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, whatever, if time permits. Now, I did want to get to this before I actually moved on to anything else because it happened Wednesday night, not nah, blah, blah, Monday night, and I tweeted about it. And the only reason why I tweeted about it is because I kind of sat with it as I was driving home, and it just didn't sit well with me. It didn't make sense to me. It was Mental Health Night at UNLV's game against North Dakota State, which is a Monday, uh, 7 p.m. start time. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. I've said it before, you can't make this stuff up, and I truthfully mean that you cannot make this stuff up. UNLV had a moment at halftime where they recognized those who were dealing with mental health or knew somebody who was dealing with mental health. And we were all prompted in the building to, to lift our camera phones up, obviously, with the with the cell phone light. <laughs> and Chet Buchanan was doing his read, and the read was, "We're all with you. You're not. You're not alone. You're all of these different things, which is obviously an amazing read." Until you realize that it was being played, or he he was actually doing what he was doing over a music bed that was being played. Typically, wouldn't bother me. We have the OD podcast for a reason, Caprice was to do. And we merge pop culture and, and sports. And we typically talk music a lot. And in doing that, 
I'm a I'm a huge music fan. To even so much so to the point to where I can only somewhat enjoy myself when I go out because I'm analyzing the DJ set a little bit too much. I hear a certain record play and I'll be like, oh, that's fire. You got to go to this next. And if he doesn't, he or she doesn't go to that next, I'm like, uh, okay, then you got to go to this one next. And usually when I'm on point, I'll be like, there we go. You, you, Okay, cool. So it lets me know that I know a little bit about something because obviously I'm probably not always right. I'm pretty sure that DJs are looking at me if I was to tell them and they would look at me like, fam, you stick to writing your little stories. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, keep in mind, everybody is is you would ex, you would expect is pretty detailed at what they do in their job. And and like I said before, I tweeted it. I don't know who was responsible for it. I'm not saying that anybody needs to be reprimanded at all. I just need that person to know that people was aware. People were aware, and I was aware, rather, that Chet Buchanan was reading his read, was doing his read over a music bed that was playing, which featured an instrumental to the game in Lil Wayne's record, My Life. That is, wow. Now, <laughs> this is where I say. Dude, the, like, the lyrics of the song, you know what? I'm convinced that the person who did it, one of two things. Either it was done as a joke and maybe you should be reprimanded for it. Or... And this is where I think it it lies. The person had never heard the record. The person could have been scrolling down a list, could have been going through folders, and saw the game in Lil Wayne, and just simply played it. And probably seen my life and thought it was... My point exactly, which is why I tell my parents all the time, trust the source from which it comes. We all love Wayne. But if I see a Wayne song called My Life, before I play it on Mental Health Night, I'm going to find out what that record is about. I'm not going to play it. Anytime. You know what's interesting? Just because it, first of all, it has Wayne and the game. <laughs> Way That's funny. Future in the game. That's hilarious. That's not getting played. And it's called My Life. <laughs> it's called My Life. It's not getting played. That's not even going to touch airways. First of all, that's number one. <laughs> and this is Mental Health Night. Now, okay. And that's number two. Like, Wait. We just said it's Mental Health Night. It's Mental Health Month. Yes, it is. No doubt. No question. Shout I wish out. I had an air horn going right now. I'm saying shout out to those, you know what I mean, that... You are not alone. You did. Going through hard times, for real. You're really not alone. We all go through them. Trust me. You know what I mean? So, UNLV has that situation happen. I'm convinced that the person didn't listen to the record. My question became, or my issue rather, became you could have played so many different things. 
when you hear what obviously the the scenario was, the camera phone lights in the air, the the reading from Chet Buchanan, can you think of a song spur the moment right now that they could have played that would have been all right for the moment? They could have, mm. like, I a lot of artists have popped up in my head. I can't uh, can't say the songs. Drake's for sure. Drake's what? Um, could have played "Start from the Bottom." Got some good energy right there. I'm thinking more so like I'm trying to think. Are you trying to think like mellow, like a mellow? not even mellow per se, but. I was thinking more so uplifting. So when I when I sat there and I'm sitting there in anger and I'm like, granted, if you know it's mental health night, you don't have to think of this spur of the moment. So I'm no. sitting there and in the moment I'm going off about game and, and weighing in my head and I think to myself, and I always do this, what would you have done? So I instantly think, Give me a record right now that you would have had to be, if you saw it in a moment and been like, don't play that, play this instead, what would you have said? And instantly in my mind, I was like, ah, ah, and I caught myself instantly. Because I tried to give you a hint when I said, which song do you think that they could play that would have been all right for the moment? They could have played Kendrick Lamar's All Right. Actually, you didn't even have to pick anything that wasn't super commercialized. You could have picked a highly commercialized record because it fits the bill. That actually would have been perfect. You're letting them know every legitly everything's going to be all right. But you tried You've to win cool it. points. As a school that we have said plenty of times is uncultured. The campus as a whole is uncultured. Daring, diverse, and what the hell is the third one? We tell people all the time. Sports is the biggest indication of that right now. We look at all of our student athletes. How many minority coaches do we have? We have Marcus Arroyo. Let's keep counting. You got the track coach? Yvonne Wade is no longer here. Yvonne Wade has retired. What? Don't worry about it. We'll move on. We'll, we'll break it down one day if you want to. So, UNLV basketball is a nasty game. UNLV basketball, I believe, will run into their toughest test of the season so far. And that's my indication to go to work. I'm not going to work right now, guys, obviously. (laughs) So, that's not going to happen. So, that's obviously their toughest test so far this season. But later on this season, they will play against the UCLA Bruins. Which the is, UCLA Bruins, who currently are ranked two in the nation. First of all, they got a few tough games. We're going to learn a lot about this team this season. Yeah. They, are, they already had one of those tough games, at least on paper, in terms of a Pac-12 matchup with the Cal Golden with Bears. Cal. But I do think that toward the end of the season, that, that win may look a little different. I'll be honest with you. Cal's not Michigan. Nowhere near. And Cal's not UCLA. And Cal's not UCLA. UCLA is going to show that when they play them this year. And UCLA is not Michigan either. 
Mean, meaning that mm. UCLA is better than Michigan on this point. Oh, okay. Because the way you said it, I was like, mm. Tiger Campbell would like to have a word with you. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking they, of what? They, their biggest test is going to be those two games. Um, I really got to see this Michigan game. I really have to see how they attest to a really good team, a team that uses their utilizes the big men per se, um, down low, paint wise, power forwards, centers. Um, yeah, UNLV's bigs are gonna have to come up big time in the Michigan game, and no the problem. guard play. The guard play is gonna have to. Guard play is gonna be able to gonna have to be able to shoot, and. I think, if nothing else, you know UNLV is going to go through their guards, highlighted by Bryce Hamilton. I think we've seen that uh, in the early going of this season. That game on Friday, the reason why I need to figure out if I'm actually going to that game on Friday is because (sighs) final home game of the season from Allegiant Stadium for your UNLV Rebel football team. It is a matchup against the number 23. Yes, the number 23 San Diego State Aztecs. (laughs) <laughs> For some reason, I always talk about the Mountain West, but like what? not being bad, but like they don't talk about them being good. And mediocre, but somehow we always get a team in the top twenty-five. Because I mean, UNLV is at that awkward position, and I think that's what we've seen over the last couple of years and over the last couple of head coaches that have been hired uh, for these big programs, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, men or women's. You get this moment where you realize UNLV wants to be a Power 5 school, but you realize they're probably not good enough to be a Power 5 school. But then you look at the rest of the mid-conferences, the mid-level conferences, and you say, the Mountain West is probably at the top of that list or pretty damn close to it. So it's like you're at the weird moment, the weird level where the 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 answer that comes to my head is purgatory, because you're not in heaven, you're not in hell, but you're at that weird spot in between. Yeah, you're like in the middle. So yeah, I think as far as UNLV and the Mountain West as a whole, you're gonna get the I don't know whether the Pac-12 wants to try to poach San Diego State one day. They may. They may want to do it. So uh, they may want Fresno State. They may want a lot of these different programs just to take them out of here. I don't know at this point who wants UNLV yet. And the interesting part is we've seen it happen. All you need is one program. What is it? It's called the what? The the WAC? The MAC? The WAC. Wait, wait. WAC? What are you talking about? There's a MAC and a WAC. It's both? And a MEAC. Continue. Those two conferences. That would want UNLV? Yeah. And UNLV would be better off staying in the Mountain West. So those would fall upon deaf ears. If UNLV is not getting a call to go to the SEC, which, by the way, they shouldn't want to because you would have to play against the likes of Kentucky, LSU, things of that nature. You're not going to want <laughs> – Alabama. You're not going <laughs> to You don't want the SEC to play. Like I said, you, need, you only need one sport. So if basketball is doing something and basketball is – Offered to come to the WCC, which is the West Coast Conference. Right now, your two, well, your one biggest name for the longest was Gonzaga. You have Mount St. Mary's every now and again that makes an argument, and then you have BYU, who has been moved over to the West Coast Conference. 
maybe that's UNLV's argument. And even then, it's not a power five. You're going there to hope that you could beat Gonzaga one day and steal headlines. They're going to look at me crazy when I say this. But a program that's a conference, not program, a conference that's fallen golf right now, the map that UNLV could fit in underneath the correct coaching staff. Not saying that I think, keep in mind, too, these are all regional for the most part. Yeah, so, so continue. This one's not going to be regional. I, I knew it was coming. The ACC. And I knew you were going there. I don't think it would happen. I don't think it would happen. UNLV's conference games would be against teams like Wake Forest, who's in North Carolina, Duke, who's in North Carolina, North Carolina, who's in North Carolina, <laughs> Clemson, who's in South Carolina, uh, Syracuse, who's obviously in, in, in the Upper East region. Miami, it's in New York, so obviously. Man. You have Miami. You have Florida State. You have Virginia Tech. Every game, every conference game will be on the West Coast. Or excuse me, on the East Coast. On the East Coast, yeah. That, that so was just I don't a, see that happening. Uh, yeah, just because the the regional, but that would be. Is the Pac-12 calling you UNLV? If the Pac-12 isn't calling UNLV, UNLV I, is I not going anywhere. We get, I wouldn't be surprised. They got Oregon State. They got Colorado. Colorado State. Well, we have Colorado State. Oh, Colorado <laughs> State. I'm sorry, Colorado. We have Colorado. Um, they have Utah. They got Washington. They got Washington State. So I wouldn't be surprised about that. Hey, man. You got Cal. I feel like we always talk about this Power 5 situation. Wait, if I'm the Pac-12, I want San Diego and Fresno. <laughs> Very I much so. I don't want UNLV. I'm not calling UNLV. Yeah, so I wouldn't even. I'm taking San Diego State as a whole before all of them because of their basketball and football program. But... Fresno would just be based off of basketball. Their football program now has been pretty good, but I would just say that simply because of proximity. I I, I literally would say, unfortunately, Fresno, you guys are in California. So what's up? <laughs> 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 you guys are here, yeah, so let's rock. Y'all already here, so let's play a couple games a year. Um, but speaking of playing a couple games a year, UNLV was able to stack a couple of wins most recently. I, I can't wait to talk about this because this first of all, let's talk about the game that happened. Twenty-seven to four to thirteen, rather, it was a fourteen-point win for UNLV. Charles Williams, the Chuck Wagon, rushed for and these. I said these numbers on Sunday, and I don't care if you heard it; you're going to hear it again because these numbers are astronomical, and we're going to talk about them because they deserve to be talked about. Chuck set a brand new program record with thirty-eight carries. Once again, that is a brand-new program record with 38 carries. The previous record was 34 by Icky Woods. That record stood for 34 years. In, in addition to that, what? Legend. Hey, you, you, think, you think now with um, – you think they're going to start retiring the jerseys? They have already. Well – in the sense of, excuse me. But what do you put them? Because we share a stadium. Yeah. So, granted, it's one of those things as well. Like, if you go to the UNLV, to UNLV's Fertitta Football Complex, there's jersey numbers right outside of the practice field. Absolutely. So, those jersey numbers are enshrined along with the player's name. And by the way, UNLV, Lex is very content 
and very adamant. I shouldn't even say contain. He's very adamant that the program retires the number three. I feel like they're going to retire the number three and eight. Are we sure of either one of those? I would hope that they would retire would, eight, would, right? That's the all-time leading rusher now. I would hope that they retire those jersey numbers. Um, just, Are we sure of anything? With you and Evie, I don't know. You can't be so sure. <laughs> what we are sure of is that UNLV did stack two wins. UNLV has two wins on the season. They are now two and eight. The reason why I want to talk about this, well, I didn't finish Chuck's numbers. In addition to those 38 carries, he also had three touchdowns on those 38 carries. He also rushed for three, for, excuse me, for 266 yards. I'll let that breathe for a second for a reason. Head coach Marcus Arroyo is now 2-14 in his two seasons as head coach for UNLV football, 2-10 in the Mountain West Conference. We talked about it for a little bit as well in terms of, uh, well, I should say, we talked about it at least in the past couple of weeks. And we were discussing if Marcus Arroyo won the last six games of the year and or won the last four games of the year, won the last, or won the last five games of the year, won the last four games of the year. And now we're here. He's won the last two games. And he has two games left. I understand that both of these wins, and I don't think it matters for him, both of these wins are on the shoulders of Charles Williams. And if anybody would like to say that it's not, let me highlight their last two wins. Their first win, which was a road win at New Mexico, Charles became the all-time leading rusher. Absolutely. This win, the Ninth Island Showdown, getting the Golden Pineapple, Chuck set a new program record with 38 carries. That's Marcus Arroyo's two wins. Now, (laughs) Matt made some very good points. Shout out to Matt Raftery, who made some pretty good points about Financial reasons why Marcus Sorio will probably be back as a, with the program. This was his best case scenario because Marcus Sorio will be back with the program even if he loses these final two games. Yep. I don't see him. Nope. I don't see him. I don't see you and a vegan a new coach, anyways. <laughs> Isn't an attractive job, say. is the question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's where I've been wanting to cook up the storm, right? And you know these had how many quarterbacks come to the program? About since when? Last three, four years. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Okay. How long did it take you and to find their identity on where the ball should go? Have they found it now? Where did they two wins come from? Uh, I, I'm still asking the question. My question still stands. Um, <laughs> Only ask that question because um, you brought up Lex, and I'm going to mention this too. Lex, at the beginning of the season, when they lost their first two games. Yes. Yes. 
You know where I'm going with this, right? I, yeah, because Mike Hughes said the same thing. So did Gabe McCoy. So did everybody who used to play with Charles Williams. Why are you not giving your running back the ball? So, halfway through the season, Charles starts getting carries, more carries, more carries. All right, I think I got something for you. But this is this this is where I'm going with this. No, though, finish is, the point. Why did you, if you knew what you have in your backfield, why take the ball out of his hands? You ready for this? Go ahead. Who's Charles's backup? <clears throat> I'm asking one more time. Who's Charles's backup? That right there. So, the reason why I say that is because when, like I tell everybody else, shout out to Lex. I tell Lex this. Shout out to Lex. Uh, when Lex had his breakthrough season, made me go look his, his senior year, Charles Williams was dealing with an ankle injury. I always tell this story. Me and Charles was in a walking boot on campus and at the same time. I remember his his. Charles came into that season the number one back. That injury propelled Lex into the starting lineup. When you couple that with the fact that Xavier Campbell was on was on the roster, you get to about two, three deep running backs. Now, no disrespect to these people because we just don't see them in the offense. I'm not saying that they're bad running backs. Charles Williams' backups – it's Chad Magyar, who's still here, and Courtney Reese, who's still here. We don't see them in this offense very, very often. Considering the two things that I just told you, could Marcus Arroyo afford to run Charles Williams into the ground through the first six weeks of the season? I wouldn't say not run him into the ground, but at least – at least make it a make it a point to have a running game, um, in in your in your in your scheme. Okay, so in the first six weeks, you could have just ran the ball like at least what fifteen twenty times. <clears throat> Gave Charles about what ten. For whatever it's worth, you you made it look. Worse than what it is in terms of the program because Charles Williams would get the bulk of his carries in the first half. So regardless of how many carries that Chuck ended up with, you look at the at the at the the carries in terms of being weighted. So you get seven in the first in the first quarter. You get six in the second quarter. You got thirteen and a half. That's amazing. And then you get four in the third quarter and you get one in the fourth. It's it, they're weighted differently. I, I get that, but I mean, he's gotten 38 carries in a. Well, now, now, now yeah, he does. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like that could have been, he probably could have been broke that record. You get what I'm saying? Like it could have been stagnant out, but you could have just made it a point to have say, hey, let's have more of the run game, and open up some of the passes. Because then, because outright you're coming out in a passing scheme. The defense is already ready for that. Why? Because you have six different quarterbacks over the past four years. 
Don't we have had way more than six quarterbacks over the last four years? You mean to start games or just who have stopped by here and were on the roster? Oh, okay. Because we've had we've had we've had about twenty quarterbacks come (laughs) in and out, roster and then transfer and then roster. Yeah, I I probably I I exaggerated that number, but Ah, you're about halfway there. Or halfway there is the number, I should say. But, I mean, regardless of the fact, we'll see how this team plays to end the season. This team is ending this this football season with the home game against San Diego State, and then they will end the the regular season as a whole with a road game at Air Force. The Raiders are another team that's actually interesting to talk about, especially in this city, mainly because the Raiders are a conundrum. (laughs) Impossible to really identify what the Raiders are until week 17. Uh, Well, week 18 now. That's typically the way that it goes. But (laughs) I guess we need to start doing it with the Raiders as well now at this point. I I started the the count, the clicker, the ticker, whatever you want to call it. I think it was more of a clicker because (laughs) when you walk and you got one of those little step clicker things, you take take a step, you click it. You take a step, you click it. You take a step, you click it. Which, by the way, is really monotonous when you think about it. But – Nevertheless, people do it. I was hitting my imaginary clicker every time a team who wasn't from the Mountain West got a win inside of Allegiant Stadium. And I believe that it might have been, and this was before UNLV got their first win in Allegiant Stadium. So I was like, BYU may have played here twice and gotten wins before UNLV won their first game at Allegiant. And if it wasn't them, who knows? Was it Arizona? It doesn't matter. It was a team that doesn't play here. With two wins in Allegiant Stadium before UNLV got their first one. At this point, I think we need to start doing the same thing with the Raiders because Patrick Mahomes has come here twice, and he has left here twice with wins. This most recent one in lopsided fashion. 41-14, to the winner took over first place. The Raiders dropped to third place with this loss. What? I heard you take a deep breath before I got to the game notes. There's two things about that. <laughs> One. They lost about 37 or 27, rather. People can say the Chiefs are back. <laughs> Wait, pause. <laughs> Don't forget number two, three, four, and whatever other numbers. <laughs> hey, reason from TDE. <laughs> I don't know reason like that at all. Hey, reason tweeted three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Damn, the Chiefs is really done. The jig is up, or something along the lines of that. The Chiefs' jig is really up. Something along the, along the lines of that. I tweeted. I took that tweet and I quoted it after the Raiders lost on Sunday night. And I wasn't necessarily talking to reason, but I was talking to the world, and I said the Chiefs have not lost since this tweet went out. And now, just like that, Kansas City, they're not world beaters right now. But Kansas City is back on top of the, the AFC West. They have a record of 6-3. and three. I mean. I lied. They're 6-4. and four. You can say that they're back. But then you can also say the Raiders have hit a slump. Is that what you can say? <laughs> I'm just being nice. <laughs> Wait, we'll get to that in a second. Because the the more important part that I, at least I want to kind of take away from this is the mistakes. So 
I love obviously what we were able to do because I, I kind of can give you guys a glimpse into how I was able to type my story this time around. So if you're watching on Instagram live, I have my notes. They're literally right here. Like as we speak, I have all my game notes, first quarters at the top, et cetera, et cetera. He won't let so, me see him. No, for what? <laughs> so anyway, I basically take down notes. I write down important plays that happen. And when I do, I put little stars next to it if I thought that it was a game-changing play. What happens at the end of the first half, I go through and look at all of the plays with stars next to it. If it's already seeming like it's going to be a game-defining trend, I circle it. So at the end of the third quarter, I begin shaping my story. So at the end of the third quarter, I'm looking at all of the stars that are circled, and I think, okay, cool, this is what I see a lot of, this is what I see a lot of. I say all of that to say, I'm going to give you guys the points that I took out of for the Raiders game and how I broke it up. First start that I have is on a fourth and inches, Marcus Mariota came into the game. We know about the change of pace when Marcus Mariota comes into the game and Derek Carr leaves it and or goes into the slot position. The Raiders are called for a false start. The Raiders punt. The Raiders eventually give up an 11-play, 89-yard drive ending in a Kansas City touchdown on the back end of that. Las Vegas gets the ball back. They're facing a third and three, and the team commits their second false start penalty of the game. So right after the first quarter alone, I wrote mistakes in the top right-hand corner and said those are two opportunities where the Raiders shot themselves in the foot. So now I'm going to watch the rest of these three quarters and see how many times the Raiders shoot themselves in the foot. And judging by the final score, the Raiders shot themselves in the foot for the next 45 minutes. So I'm going to run down here and tell you a lot of these that I have with the stars next to them. There was an encroachment on a third and six that made it a third and one for Kansas City, which they eventually converted on a fourth in inches. The Raiders had a, thir- had a three and out drive right before the end of half that elapsed a total time of 37 seconds. So when I looked at that note, I put the star next to it. I instantly went back because I remembered the 11 play 89 yard drive. By the end of that second quarter, the Chiefs had already scored again. That drive went 10 plays. In the second half, the Chiefs had a drive of 13 plays. Guys, simply put, I I usually try to find moments to do this. All of those numbers next to mistakes, I put the number two next to. Meaning that's the second thing I'm going to talk about. The general thing is what Duna was about to do. That's the first thing is what Duna was about to do. Where are the Raiders now? What's the record? What are the standings? What's their snapshot capsule right now? So the second point that I had was mistakes. In parentheses, I put KC long, long drives. Essentially, guys, I'm going to tell the story by telling you guys how the Raiders' mistakes turned into long drives for Kansas City. The third point that I had on here was obviously some of the standouts from the team. Derek Carr did throw two touchdowns on the night. Brian Edwards had three catches for 88 yards, meaning all three of his catches went for 20 or more yards. Then I had to get to injuries. 
Darren Wilder didn't have the, the hottest game. Go ahead and read the update, uh, the game, uh, game recap if you guys want to look at his numbers. Held to two catches into the fourth quarter. You guys make of that what you will. Injuries was something that I was going to talk about in this one because Brandon Faison left the game in the first quarter with the wrist injury. It was the second KC drive. Well, I shouldn't say wrist injury, with a left arm injury. We all know how football works. The moment that a DB leaves the game, the already warm DB, the moment that that backup DB gets in, he's probably going to get targeted right away. That's exactly what happened. Desmond Trufant came into the game as a backup and was burned instantly by Tyreek Hill for a touchdown. That was the Raiders' first touchdown surrender of the night. Wasn't their last by any means. Uh, Desmond Trufant guarding Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Now, keep in mind, too, I just told you guys just kind of about the first half and the way that it kind of transpired. I told you guys about the encroachment. Now, in the second half, the third quarter probably saw the Raiders' most mistakes because I'm realizing at halftime as I'm taking my notes, I'm talking about all these mistakes and none of them are turnovers. Until the Raiders have two turnovers in the third quarter, Deshaun Jackson caught his first pass as a Las Vegas Raider only to have it punched out and fumbled and eventually fumbled by him. The next drive... After Kansas City added three more points to the lead, they eventually went up 27-14. to 14. Yes, that means Deshaun Jackson fumbled in a 10-point game. But still in a two-possession game, facing a third and seven, Derek Carr had his arm tipped or hit and probably wouldn't have mattered depending on where he threw that ball because he did throw it to the middle of the field surrounded by defenders. It was picked off. The fourth quarter was much more the same for the Raiders. Did not end the way that they wanted it to. Now, you just talked about it. The Raiders are 5-4 and four on the year. They're 1-2 and two in the AFC West. If you guys are wondering what those, uh, what that record consists of, it's a win against Denver. Those two losses did come to, you would assume, the other two competition uh, in the league, or in the uh, conference, I should say, or the division, rather, which would be the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers. Rich Basaccia is now 2-2 two and two as the interim head coach of the Raiders. What do we make of that? They just got things to clean up. Hmm. Um, and they're not the only team. There are a few other teams out there that have to clean up mistakes. Ravens? <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. I'm not even going to sit here and... You can't. Nope, I'm not going to. We lost to the Dolphins. Two and seven Dolphins. Not even going to do it. <laughs> um, but the Raiders do have a lot of things to clean up. Okay. Um, obviously... The mistakes that you just talked about, those mistakes cannot happen, um, especially in a critical game like that. And we hmm. do know some people may say, oh, it's just the middle of the season. It's, it's still early. No, in the NFL, every week matters from week one to now week 17. 18. 18. It matters. Okay? It matters. Um, third point? It's my third point. Second point. Third point. Third point. I lost track, but I remember the points. Maybe it's third point there. Third point. The Raiders have now lost their identity and are trying to rebrand it. A lot of things like have – the Raiders are now in a news area section where it's they're more so public eye view. If, you, if the understanding of it is – it's more story-based. It's more drama-based Being with the Raiders being here. So now they're trying to rebrand themselves as a football team. 
It's going to be a lot of hardships. Re-rebrand themselves. It's going to be a lot of hardships, a lot of ups and downs within that. Okay. Wait, but you're talking about something that we don't even know can be done throughout a season. No. Don't you need an off season for that? You need you need a whole year for that. So that that's just the that's just the whole thing is right now they're trying to try their best to win games through the, the through the tough process of everything that's been going on. Um Another thing is they don't have – I get it, Deshaun Jackson coming to Las Vegas. Um, he's not a number one receiver. Shouldn't have to be at this stage in his career. He shouldn't have to be, and but that's exactly what it's going on right now. Yes. He, well, no. Brian Harris is their number one. It's eh. – Brian Harris is their number one. Okay. Now – how often they get him the ball, considering the offensive line getting attacked, considering penalties that set them back, considering just certain things that obviously uh, football being the ultimate team sport, we understand the way that that can kind of play out. But, well, I, when I when we all literally say leading receiver, we literally mean, we literally mean leading wide receiver because the obvious leading receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders is the tight end, Darren Waller, which is why I said he didn't have the hottest game. Go check that out. Um, we'll see what the Raiders look like in a bounce-back effort. They do have the, the Cincinnati Bengals on a Sunday at 1.05 p.m. from Allegiant Stadium. We'll see how that goes. Let's give an update on the pickums really quick. Uh, and then after that, I think we're yeah, – we're not right out of here, but we'll be out of here shortly. Uh, let's give an update on the pickums. We've had two pretty weird weeks the last two weeks, but what can you do? We have had one management switch over in terms of Matt taking over for Tyler's team. We were going to have Matt start next year. Just pardon, uh, just to sit out until next year. Daryl said just to have him hop in just for fun. Obviously, Tyler with him stepping away. We went ahead and uh, let Matt take over those points for now. So after week 10, after 10 weeks in the NFL, we have a tie for first place currently. Me and Daryl are both locked in first place at 90 and 59. This is the fourth straight week that Daryl has either, has either been in first and or tied for, for first. Third place will be Salim. He's only a game behind. Duna is fourth place. He's four games behind. And then Matt is fifth place. He's a game behind Duna. He's five games out of first place. All of these games, for the most part, I believe, I want to check them out. Check them all out right now. All of these season or weeks, rather, have all between first and last place. The largest deficit we've had all season long is seven games. I'm slacking. I need to pick it up. I need to go ahead and win some games. You didn't have a good week this week. You went four and ten. I didn't have a good week at all. You didn't have a good week this week. You went four and ten this week. I went seven and seven this week. Daryl went seven and seven this week. Salim went six and eight this week. I mean, and Matt went seven and seven. I'm not gonna lie. I definitely didn't see the 49ers blowing the Rams. I like that. I don't think anybody saw that. Even I though we probably should have. See Washington beating Tampa. Okay. Who who saw that? <laughs> <laughs> who saw that? I <laughs> did. I didn't even see my team losing to the Dolphins, so. No, we we all saw that. No, just playing. Oh, hey, shout out to Salim. Salim is a Miami Dolphin fan, and even he picked the Ravens. 
I did pick Jordan Love in the in the, the Packers against the Chiefs. I let him have his moment. I didn't want to rip it. Not like man. you had a choice. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> speaking of not having a choice, the Vegas Golden Knights. It's only so much you can do when you play a team that's already eleven and two on the season. They lose to the Carolina Hurricanes, seven to four. Or why did I just say seven to four? Four to two. I'm over here looking at my writing. The Carolina Panthers with that win improved to twelve and two on the year. The reason why I told you guys that is because they jumped out to a two nothing lead at the end of at the end of the first period over the Vegas Golden Knights. The Golden Knights would eventually tie that game at two in the second period, only to have. The Carolina – did I say Panthers again? Yeah, no. Did I say Panthers earlier? You I think said, I did. You said Panthers earlier, but damn you it. said Carolina. Carolina Hurricanes. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Probably. The Carolina Hurricanes outscored the, Ve- the Vegas Golden Knights, VGK, in case you needed an a- the acronym for it. Two to nothing in the third period, so that final score ended up being four to two. I, I mean, I know we don't want to talk about moral victories, but – Falling behind two to nothing to a team that good that early to bounce back and tie that game in the second period and have that game tied heading into the third period, I feel like you gotta you gotta take your wins uh, even in your losses early in the season, and this may be a big one for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. That loss does end a three game losing streak for the team, almost at program. The team currently sits in fourth place. They're tied for fourth place. We'll get into that specific in a second. They are 9-7-0 nine, nine, on the year. They have tallied 18 points. Once again, they are tied for fourth in the Pacific Division standings. They're tied right now with the Los Angeles Kings. They're tied right now with the Los Angeles Kings, who currently hold the tiebreaker after beating Vegas earlier this season. Next on the docket for the Vegas Golden Knights is a home game against the Detroit Red Wings. That will be tomorrow. Thursday, November 18th, 7 p.m. from the T-Mobile Arena, also known as the Fortress. In case you wanted to know. Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, in case you wanted to know a little a, a little fun fact about that Detroit Red Wings team, the Detroit Red, Red Wings were actually the last loss for the Vegas Golden Knights before they went on this three-game winning streak. Let's see if they can start another streak by beating the Detroit Red Wings. We have aviator news, well, baseball news, rather. And then we have... My dad's tipping, and we'll get out of here. So, I absolutely love the sound of typing. So, I just felt the need to let you guys know that, even though you guys did not ask. Sounds like music to your ears. Got that melody. So, as it often does, the Las Vegas ballpark will host Big League Weekend. Yes, guys, we will have two big league teams coming to Las Vegas to participate in a spring training game at Las Vegas ballpark, which has been ranked, voted, rated the best minor league ballpark in all of minor league baseball the last two seasons in running. Do we get like Take a, a wild guess. What? Do we what? Get a trophy or I think you should. You've been around the team for a long time. I think I should as well, even though the Las Vegas Aviators have nothing to do with this game, even though this game is taking place on their home field. Guess the two teams that are going to participate in this year's Big League Weekend, which takes place March 12th and March 13th of 2022. Once again, those dates are March 12th and 13th of next year, which is 2022 in the month of March. Month of March. Minor. 
League, right? Major League teams. Oh, Big major, League weekend. Major, major League. Big League weekend. Last season, if I recall correctly, we had the Cincinnati Reds and the Chicago Cubs. I'm going to go with. Do you want a hint first? Yep. They're both, <laughs> they're both AL teams. AL that cuts team. the league in half for you. AL team. They're both AL teams. They're American League teams. What do you want me to tell you? American League teams. Um, Dodgers. Those are NL teams. I know where this is going already. <laughs> I see where this is going. I see where this is going. The AL East is a well, obviously the East is AL. You got the Yankees, you got the Red Sox, you got the Blue Jays. Oh, you got the. Oh, they're they're not okay. Go ahead. I got you. (laughs) Red Sox and Yankees. (laughs) Absolutely not. I started with that division on purpose because the two teams neither come from the AL East. Um, Terrible. Hey man, you. Terrible. I don't know what you expected me to give you when it came to that, but anyway. No, I hey you. I mean, those would be the biggest ones. I, I just said before that typically the Las Vegas Aviators don't have anything to do with this big league weekend. This particular time is going to be a little bit different because one of the teams that we are welcoming to Las Vegas, I should say back to Las Vegas, is going to be the hometown affiliate, which would be the Las Vegas – I almost said Las Vegas Athletics, and that would have been a problem. <laughs> the city of Oakland would have been very upset at me, but the, the Oakland Athletics – We'll be down here for a big league weekend, taking on the newly named Cleveland Guardians. Wow. So we will have our first opportunity to check out the Cleveland Guardians when they take on the Oakland Athletics. Yes, that will take place big league weekend. That is March 12th and 13th. Once again, March 12th and 13th of 2022 from Las Vegas Ballpark. Check us out then. You know what's crazy? My first initial thought when you first asked me the question was the Oakland A's. Should have said it. This is why you go with your gut feeling. This is man. exactly why you go with your gut feeling. Because just so you know, feeling. in case you didn't put two and two together already, they're an AL team. I put two and one together. Did you? What'd you come up with? One. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. That's why I'm, I'm, I write for a living instead of counting for a living. Um, in addition to that, Las Vegas Ballpark, I just told you guys that takes place in March. What's taking place right now at Las Vegas Ballpark is they are converting the ballpark. <laughs> Into Enchant Christmas Las Vegas. Once again, it is called Enchant Christmas Las Vegas. This begins next Friday, November 26th. Las Vegas Ballpark will be entirely transitioned into a world of Christmas wonder for those in Las Vegas. Once again, Las Vegas Ballpark will now be turned into Enchant Christmas which on their website is literally listed as a world of Christmas wonder. And that awaits you at Las Vegas Ballpark beginning next Friday, where they will have ice skating, lighted mazes, unique food, beverages, and they will, of course, have Santa Claus. This is at the ballpark. Yes. I'm there, dog. How do you you get? It's a podcast conversation for the rest of this. We can go online. And I'm actually going to make a couple phone calls because I want to make sure that I am properly doing this right. I want to do everything. Absolutely. That sounds a sounds fun. It sounds like a ball. Sounds doo doo. Ha! You hit it out the park. Doo doo. 
we really gotta get out of here. We are, we are way too tired to continue to do this. Uh, in addition to that, there's no way that I'm gonna talk baseball and not let off and get off my opportunity to talk about my favorite team growing up. Of course, I'm talking about the Angels. I've I've asked for so long for the Angels to make a splash in free agency that did not have to do with the field. I wanted to see the Angels actually make a, fla- a, a splash in free agency that had to do with arms, which would be pitching. The man known as Thor, Noah Syndergaard, did recently sign a contract to play baseball in Anaheim with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like I told my dad, it's a start. I would love to see if the Angels can go out and possibly add another name. They don't have to add another big name. Justin Verlander came off the uh, came off the uh, free agent list today, which we kind of anticipated. But I'm not saying that the Angels need to go out and sign another huge name arm. But let's say the Angels go out and sign another uh, sign another arm for the for the starting rotation. Maybe you're early enough in the winter, in the fall and winter, to where you can develop an arm or two in your uh, farm system to possibly help you toward the later the latter ends of the year and focus your early part of your regular season on developing that bullpen. Because if you develop the bullpen, you could have a, a, a top-heavy rotation to start the year. So if you have Noah Syndergaard, you have an additional signing, now you can get to working through the kinks with the rest of your rotation, working through the kinks with your uh, – with your bullpen, obviously, and hopefully by, I don't know, let's say August, September, October, now you have players in arms in your farm system that you've obviously been looking at for a couple of months and or years, depending on how long they've been a part of your organization. Last thing I think that we have for tonight is my dad's tip-in. Second. Second. Second tip. I said second. Second tip-in, I should say. And I want to make sure that I get these notes properly. Um, bet. That's crazy. What's crazy? Your birthday's on Friday. It is. My dad's birthday on Saturday. Because he knows how to properly do it. <laughs> I'm telling you, like who? Anybody born in November just knows how to do it right. I don't. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Uh, I told my dad that his tip-in should be on this, and he obliged, saying that how was I going to tell him how, what his tip-in was going to be on. <laughs> and I, my initial instinct was like, because I can. Like, I'm pretty sure I knew what was coming. Like, And if it wasn't on this, I would have been kind of shocked. But I was pretty sure that I knew what was coming. And I didn't want him trying to think of something else when this one was right there in front of him. Obviously, my dad's tip-in is going to be about the Staples Center name change. He said, okay, I get it. The big money comes from cable and network deals, and that's way above my pay grade, and I get it. But for a lifelong fan, the Staples Center means something. The house that not just Kobe built, but Shaq built. The Staples Center, the Staples Center is remembered for 6-11-2012. The LA Kings won a Stanley Cup championship. January 22nd, 2006, Kobe scores 81 points. April 3rd, 2005, WrestleMania 21. My dad, you didn't put this in here, but I will put that in there. That is John Cena and Batista's first world championships. 
both won their first world titles that night. That's Garth Brooks, I think it is. Garth Brooks charity concerts in 2008 benefiting wildfire victims. The frenzy on Figueroa when the Kings, when the, oh, there we go. When the underdog Kings came back from three down in the third to defeat the Red Wings in the Western quarterfinals. The Kobe Shaq alley-oop in game seven of the Western finals. The Michael Jackson tribute. The first double backflip in competitive history by Travis Pastrana at the Summer X Games. And the number one moment as a, for Laker fans is Mr. Big Shot in game four against the Sacramento Kings with no time left in the Western Conference Finals on the way to the Lakers' three-peat. There, so, there are so many Staples Center memories that no matter that no matter, that no matter its official name, it will always be the Staples Center to us. I don't want to say anything else. I mean, I'm not a Lakers fan like that, but... Uh, yeah, even though you were everything Laker. Hey, man. Besides this hat, okay? This hat. What's your sweats say right now? My sweats. What do your sweats say right now? My sweats say Lakers. But my head say Baltimore Ravens. I'm not dealing with it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>